Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Conversations podcast. I'm Dr Louise Tuckwiller, Senior CMO working in two southern regional hospitals. The aim of this podcast is to review emergency topics with a rural and regional perspective. The opinions expressed of a general education encourage everyone to check their local guidelines and those of the New South Wales Emergency Care Institute. I have with me today Dr Trevor Chan, Clinical Director of the New South Wales Emergency Care Institute. Just to start with Dr Chan, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Thanks, Louise. I've been an emergency physician since 2002 and the director of St. George Emergency from 2010 to 2020 before starting here at the ECI last November. Uh, I was co-chair of the St. George Clinical Council for the last three years, which gives you an overview of the hospital, and I still work at St. George half-time. I am Australasian College for Emergency Medicine New South Wales faculty chair, and a member of ASIM's Quality and Patient Safety Committee. Oh, that's great. And could you please tell us a bit about the Emergency Care Institute? So the Emergency Care Institute is part of the Agency for Clinical Innovation, one of the New South Wales health pillars. We look to see how we can improve care for patients that present to emergency departments across New South Wales. There are a large number of emergency departments across New South Wales, and they range in level delineation from one to six. And we aim to support the system provide to provide consistency of care and reduce variation and support communication across the system. Okay, so how does it fit into other organisations within New South Wales Health? So as I mentioned earlier, the ECI works closely with other networks within the uh, Agency for Clinical Innovation and with the other health pillars, such as the Clinical Excellence Commission, HETI, the Bureau of Health Information, and Cancer Institute New South Wales, and with the Ministry of Health. Okay. Now, there's quite an extensive clinical resources section on the website. For each clinical area, there's an overview of assessment and management, and there are also links to other resources and patient fact sheets. Dr Chan, are you able to tell us about how clinical tools have been developed? Yeah, thank you. The Louis, uh, sorry, the clinical tools have been a long-standing part of our website. They developed out of a need to provide clear, concise, practical information for busy emergency clinicians. The topics covered are some of the most relevant for emergency clinicians and the emergency department. There is a regular review process in place to keep resources updated, and via the large audience using the website, we regularly receive feedback on the different aspects within each topic and we can update information as new evidence is published or feedback is received. The tools are also supported by other resources, such as those on the Clinical Information Access Portal, or CAP. Oh, yes, and one advantage I see is that there can be greater consistency of practice if we are using the same resources, such as those from the Emergency Care Institute. Could you elaborate on this, as I see it is one of the listed priorities of the Emergency Care Institute? A consistent approach to investigation and management is important to reducing variation across the system. This should be evidence-based and follow follow current policies and guidelines. An example would be performing procedures in the emergency department as an area of increased risk to providers and patients. In most cases, there is time to think about how to plan for and perform a procedure. The Emergency Procedures web app is an example of how the Emergency Institute is trying to support 
a consistent approach to procedures. For a particular procedure, they include the indications or contraindications and all the steps involved in doing the procedure. Some also have instructive videos. Clinicians can access the web app from our website. There are 97 procedures on the Emergency Procedures website web app, of which 40 have video. And the Emergency Procedures web app has been was released in October 2020 and has been visited more than 17,000 times. Wow. Yes, the procedural resources are great. Dr Chang, can you tell us what other ways you see us using the ECI resources in the emergency department or as part of our regular self or organisation-led education? The resources on the ECI website can be used in a number of ways. They're designed to help provide real-time information on different conditions or different symptoms. They can be used to help support and confirm the care the clinician is providing. In the same way, there are resources to help confirm medication selection or doses. These resources can also be used to support more structured teaching if that's what's required. And these include the clinical tools, the emergency procedures, and the red flag modules as examples. and there are around 70 patient fact sheets available on the site, 56 of which have been developed internally by the Emergency Care Institute, and the rest are links to other reputable sources. Dr Chan, would you mind commenting on how these have been developed? The fact sheets, like the clinical tools and the Emergency Procedures web app, follow the principles outlined by the Agency for Clinical Innovation's Principles for Developing Clinical Guidelines document. It is a robust process that firstly establishes that the innovation and aim of the resource is sound, then proceeds to collaborate with experts on the subject matter while ensuring it is relevant to emergency departments. Once complete, the resources are placed on a register for regular review. The patient's fact sheets have been and continue to be a very well-used resource on the Emergency Care Institute's website. They provide information on a number of common conditions that patients present to the ED with. At the moment, we are reviewing the fact sheets in conjunction with clinicians, consumers, and the Agency for Clinical Innovations Communications team to update the content and format so the information is as easy to access and digest as possible. Oh, that sounds great. And can you tell us about the red flag modules and how we can learn from these? There's enormous potential for positive shifts in practice to follow from the sharing of learnings learned from ED incidences. Efforts should be made to destigmatize risk and failure and to promote sharing experiences and continuous learning. The red flag modules are based on cases that have undergone a root cause analysis and offer pertinent lessons for clinicians, students, and those managing clinical environments. These cases have been chosen as they are typical of many cases, many similar cases and demonstrate outcomes when red flags in a patient's presenting presentation or ongoing clinical response have not been properly addressed. The modules are designed to stimulate thinking about how adverse events could, be, could have been avoided and are a valuable individual or group learning resource. Case descriptions have been interposed with questions at a critical point to trigger the clinician's thinking. Each module concludes with the lessons learned from the incident 
an evidence-based discussion of the red flags? Yes, I myself am involved in education rurally as a director of pre-vocational education and training. Looking at the Emergency Care Institute resources, I see that I could use many of these as part of a teaching program. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions around this? These resources highlight the importance of quality and patient safety in all aspects of the work we do as emergency clinicians. Our approach to and with patients, families and carers, and other staff within the ED and wider health community. Our decision-making thought processes and our communication of these as we assess risk versus benefit for the investigations or treatment options. It's not possible to know everything all the time. Knowing how to get assistance, where from and when are part of practicing as a safe clinician. Our resources are there for this purpose and we encourage you and anyone else to use them in their teaching. might just run through a few quick cases. The first case is a 45-year-old male who presents with a two-week history of back pain. Now, we obviously need to do a thorough history and clinical examination to rule out serious diagnoses. It's often difficult in a busy emergency department to remember to ask all the red flags. It can be difficult to remember all the red flags. Some will be easier to remember than others, depending on the information that is available to you whether from the patient or other sources of information, such as letters or previous notes. For things that are more difficult to remember, or even to reassure yourself you're remembering correctly, use the resources in the Emergency Care Institute's website. So how can the resource section on the Emergency Care Institute website help us with this case? Our website has the flow sheet and the Agency for Clinical Innovation's Acute Low Back Pain Best Practice Module, which will provide more details for this case. From the flow sheet, the red flags are easy to see. Things like history of cancer, recent bacterial infection or fever, saddle anesthesia, bladder or bowel dysfunction, neurological defects in the lower limb, persistent symptoms for more than four weeks, or representations. Yes, I really like the Agency for Clinical Innovation Low Back Pain Fact Sheet to give to patients when being discharged, as it included great information about red flags, need for imaging, analgesia, and activity. Thanks, Louise. That's great to hear. We aim to make sure that the patient fact sheets have the relevant information to help patients become informed about and manage their health. Now, for our second case, we have an 85-year-old woman who clinically has a fractured neck of femur following a fall at a nursing home. She's on a Pixaban but has not had today's dose. A fascia iliaca block would be advisable in this patient. I'm trained in this procedure but couldn't remember off the top of my head the recommendations regarding NOACs and fascia iliaca blocks. I checked my procedures app and was quickly able to find that a novel oral anticoagulant within 12 hours was a contraindication. You can create a shortcut through the emergency procedures app on the home screen of your phone for ease of use. In the anesthesia fascioiliaca section, you will find the contraindications. Allergies to local anesthetics, local infection, 
heart block without pacemaker, previous femoral bypass surgery, unable to identify the femoral artery and ultrasound, hepatic disease, and coagulopathy with an INR greater than 1.5, heparin or NOAC within 12 hours, and platelets less than 100. Dr Chan, what other advantages do you see in us reviewing this procedure on the website or web app? It's a good way to check medications and dosages and the sequence of procedures including landmarks and a way to reinforce your practice. A video is a great visual reminder. Is the Emergency Care Institute wanting feedback about the site from its users? Absolutely. Feedback helps ensure that the information makes sense and is useful in this format. It helps monitor for any technical problems, in addition to our, and in addition to our review processes, it helps keep content up to date and relevant. The website is undergoing a review to make sure the elements are relevant, easy to use, and searchers find the relevant information. We're currently looking at how to enhance the website to ensure the content resources and layout is optimal. Dr Chan, is there a role or need for rural practitioners to get involved in the Emergency Care Institute? Getting involved is a great way for rural practitioners to engage with the broader emergency department community. The Emergency Care Institute Research Symposium will be held virtually on Friday the 25th of June. It's a free event and we're asking people to pre-register. Our current committees include the Clinical Advisory Committee, the Information System and Technology Advisory Committee, uh, the Research and Innovation Advisory Committee, and the Rural and Rural Referral Advisory Group. These are all looking at current issues facing the emergency community. At the moment, also, this includes the Emergency Department Community of Practice, chaired by Dr. Lei Heng Fong, which, is, which has been highlighting COVID pandemic issues and presents monthly. I can see that there's been a lot of hard work gone into the Emergency Care Institute website. There are many other components of the website, including administration and research. Dr Chan, are there any in particular that you would feel would be of interest to our rural practitioners? There are a number of resources and projects that would be of interest to rural practitioners. These include the New South Wales Rural Emergency Adult Clinical Guidelines and the New South Wales Rural Paediatric Emergency Clinical Guidelines. It includes the emergency protocols and other resources available through the website, such as the RFDS. Current projects we are working on include updating the 2012 ED Models of Care document and the Emergency Protocols Initiation Care, otherwise known as EPIC. Very good. And do you have any final comments you would like to make about the Emergency Care Institute and its ongoing work? I'd just like to say the Emergency Care Institute is constantly and continuously looking at ways it can help the New South Wales emergency care community. Whether it's directly through the website or through our work with the other networks, Health Pillars and the Ministry of Health. Looking at our website and joining as a member is an easy way to stay in touch and we encourage practitioners from rural, regional and metropolitan areas to join. Simply, web, simply visit our website and select Join the Emergency Care Institute. 
Oh, Dr. Chen, thanks so much for your time today. And I hope we can all use these wonderful resources more often in our daily practice. Thanks for having me.